0: Well, have you ever been guilty of hypocrisy? You knew the right thing to do, but when the moment came, you decided to do something different. Maybe you used your tongue in a way that didn't honor the Lord. A few years ago, I decided to attempt a triathlon, and the open water swim scared me. Now, I learned to swim when I was young but I would have never considered myself a swimmer, more like I knew how to survive. So my fear led me to train, and I woke up early morning to get a morning workout in, in addition to the main workout later on in the afternoon or evening. And this particular day, um, I woke up my wife. It was a Saturday morning, 6 a.m., And she says to me, with all seriousness, do you have to wake up at 6 a.m. on a Saturday when I can sleep in? Are are you taking this a bit too seriously? Now, a God-honoring, 1 Peter 3 kind of husband, you know, the passage that reminds husbands to live with their wives in an understanding way, you know that one that I'm talking about? That husband would have responded graciously and kindly. That husband would have seen the opportunity to be like Christ, to listen to his wife's concerns, maybe share some of his own and seek a solution that would honor Christ. Unfortunately, Stephanie wasn't married to that guy that day. (laughs) Without missing a beat, I just looked at her and said, so you want me to drown? I mean, what in the world kind of response is that? Yes, hon, I have been praying and fasting that you would drown in the race. (laughs) Of course not. How ridiculous. I mean, what was I expecting her to say? It was blatant hypocrisy. After all, I'm sure earlier that week I probably read 1 Peter 3 or I talked to somebody about 1 Peter 3 and learning how to be a husband who live with his wife in an understanding way. I'm sure that I had that conversation with somebody. And then when it came time for me, what comes out of my mouth is something far different. Or or maybe you used an electronic device to post or to see something that you knew was wrong. Or maybe you knew your thoughts weren't honoring to Christ Thankfully, what you thought didn't come out of your mouth, but nevertheless, in your heart, you knew that Christ was not magnified. Well, is it fair to say that at least to one degree or another, we all live with hypocrisy? And with that in mind, I'd like you to turn your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, the sermon series is Hope for Everyday Life, Hope for Fruitful Service if we are entrusting ourselves to the one who judges righteously, if we are suffering for acting like a faithful follower of Jesus, if we're humbly coming before God, casting our cares on Him because He cares for us, all themes from 1 Peter, then we're in the perfect position to make a difference for the cause of Christ or to be fruitful. And our summer series has focused on verses 5-7. to And the character qualities that exist in the text. It says, Now for this very reason also, that is because God in His grace has provided us what we need to live a godly life, apply all diligence or make every effort. In your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. Well, you might ask, well, where does the concept of fruitfulness come from in that passage? And we just need to keep reading. Because in verse 8, it says, for if these qualities are yours... And are increasing. They render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. On the other hand, it says, For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Church family, I know that, at least for me, I want to make a difference. I want to live a fruitful life. I want to live in verse 8 and not in verse 9. I want to live with moral excellence rather than with compromise. Because the former leads to fruitfulness. The latter leads to a life that shows that one forgets the cross of Christ. This, pro- this passage promises that once I understand that God saved me through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ that He's provided everything that I need to live a godly life, then I need to invest my energy and my focus into having the qualities that will count in the eyes of my Savior. That doesn't mean that any of us will have our names in lights or will be the most significant person in American Christianity. It just means that we live faithful and fruitful to the calling of our Savior. And I, and I think I speak for all of our pastors who want that for you too. We want you to be fruitful. We want your life to count in the eyes of your Savior. And when it comes time for you to pass into eternity, that you would look forward to being with Jesus with joy because of the fruitful life that you have lived. So how do we do that? Well, the Bible says, apply all diligence. Or in some translations it says, make every effort. So these things don't come naturally. They require intentional effort. And Pastor Virus helped us understand the first contrast. That between moral excellence and compromise. And he did so through the life of Daniel. How even though he was taken as a young boy, captive to learn a new culture and language, served his entire life, he nevertheless lived faithful to the Lord, even when his life was at risk. There was no compromise on his part. So today, we're going to look at the second quality. Applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and now... In your moral excellence knowledge. Well, we need to understand then what we're talking about. What is this knowledge that Peter is referencing? And there are several definitions that have come up that I think are particularly helpful. Because when we hear the word knowledge, we might be tempted to think, well, that's facts. That's just information. So people who have knowledge get the best grades in school. They score high on standardized tests. They can be a contestant on Jeopardy. When I say the word wisdom, however, your mind would go in a different direction. It would start to think about application of knowledge to skillfully navigate the circumstances of life or to apply knowledge to a complex problem. And while the New Testament can separate those concepts, and sometimes does, 2 Peter combines them. So here's what one commentator wrote. The wisdom and discernment which the Christian needs for a virtuous life and which is progressively acquired. It is practical rather than purely speculative wisdom. In other words, he's saying that's what the word knowledge means in this context. Another Said Peter probably referred to the knowledge of God's will in ways that are necessary for every Christian. Again, emphasizing this life application or discerning God's will and living according to it. In other words, the focus is on both knowledge and wisdom. It's not just a matter of learning the truth about Christ to pass a theology exam, it's connecting that to the hands. That proves itself in daily action. So, just as compromise was the antithesis of moral excellence, so is hypocrisy the antithesis to knowledge. So, when we think about wisdom, then, we think about wisdom knowledge. I'm gonna use those two terms interchangeably. When we think about that, who might come to mind? What character from the Bible might we learn the most from regarding the issue of wisdom? Well, our pastoral team decided on Solomon. I, how many of you chose Solomon? In the, oh yeah, you're just all over Solomon, right? Think about wisdom, think about Solomon. So I'd like you to turn your Bibles to First Kings chapter 3. And we're going to think about four truths about making every effort to add to your saving faith Knowledge from Solomon's life. So, 1 Kings 3. David has been king now for 40 years. He dies in chapter 2. There is a power struggle, but ultimately, God ensures that Solomon, his chosen one, is going to take the throne. And I want to start reading in verse 3. This is the word of the Lord. Now, Solomon loved the Lord walking in the statutes of his father David, except he sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. We'll come back to that at the very end. The king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was a great high place. Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on the altar. In Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream at night, and God said, ask whatever you wish me to give you. Then Solomon said, you have shown great loving kindness to your servant David, my father, according as he walked before you in truth and righteousness and uprightness of heart toward you. And you have reserved for him this great loving kindness that you have given him a son to sit on this throne as it is to this day. Now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David. Yet I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. Your servant is in the midst of your people, which you have chosen, a great people who are too many to be numbered or counted. So give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, to discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? It was pleasing in the sight of the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. And God said to him, because you have asked this thing and have not asked for yourself long life. "'Nor have you asked riches for yourself, nor have you asked for the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself discernment to understand justice. Behold, I have done according to your words. Behold, I have given you a wise and discerning heart, so that there be no one like you before you, nor shall one like you arise after you. I have also given you what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that, they will, so that there will not be among the kings like you all your days.'" If you walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and commandments as your father David walked, then I will prolong your days. Then Solomon awoke, and behold, it was a dream. And he came in Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord and offered burnt offerings and made peace offerings and made a feast for all his servants. Then two women who were harlots came to the king and stood before him. The one woman said, Oh, my Lord, this woman and I live in the same house, and I gave birth to a child while she was in the house. And it happened on the third day after I gave birth that this woman also gave birth to a child, and we were together. There was no stranger with us in the house, only the two of us. This woman's son died in the night because she lay on it. So she arose in the middle of the night and took my son from beside me while your maidservant slept and laid him in her bosom and laid her dead son in my bosom. When I arose in the morning to nurse my son, behold, he was dead. But when I looked at him carefully in the morning, behold, he was not my son whom I had born. Then the woman said, no, for the living one is my son and the dead one is your son. But the first woman said, no, for this dead son is your son and the living one is my son. Thus they spoke before the king. Then the king said, the one says, this is my son who is living and your son is the dead one. And the other says, no, for your son is the dead one and my son is the living one. The king said, Get me a sword. So they brought a sword before the king, and the king said, Divide the living child in two, and give half to the one and half to the other. And then the woman whose child was the living son spoke to the king, for she was deeply stirred over her son, and said, Oh, my lord, give her the living child and by no means kill him. But the other said, He shall neither be mine nor yours, divide him. Then the king said, Give the first woman the living child and by no means kill him, she is his mother. And when all Israel heard of the judgment which the king had handed down, they feared the king, for they saw that the wisdom of God was in him to administer justice. Now, I'd like us to consider, first of all, asking God for wisdom. How are we going to make every effort to live with wisdom? How are we going to actually accomplish that? The task of 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. First of all, to ask. We're told initially that Solomon has a great love for the Lord. It says that he loved him and walked in his statutes. What an important comment in light of what came next. Because when the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream and made the following offer, ask me whatever you want me to give you. Man, what an option there, huh? What an incredible request. At Solomon's heart at this stage of his life was very soft and sensitive to the Lord's calling because he loved him. There might be a lesson right there. It's really hard to be wise when our heart is not very sensitive to the Lord. He acknowledges in verses 6 and 7 that God's calling on his life is too large for him to handle. He says, Lord, I, I don't know how to go out or come in. The task that you've given me is too great. The responsibility is too heavy. How can I possibly steward what you have given me? So he asks for the one thing that he knows can help. Wisdom. Understanding. The ability to judge. So give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, to discern between good and evil. And when we read a passage like this, it might be tempting to say, well, that's not like me. I'm not a king. I don't have to discern those kinds of issues or problems or questions. Can I suggest that we need to see this as very real for us? Students have to choose which people they will give influence to. Who will be their friends And who will be their acquaintances? That requires wisdom. And it can have significant influences on the trajectory of one's life. What about dating? Or choosing a roommate? Does that require wisdom? There are times when someone might ask someone out on a date and the answer really ought to be after you grow up. When you grow up, ask me again. What about husbands and wives? Do you need wisdom to know how to respond? Then if you don't, you say really foolish things like I did that morning. So you want me to drown? Yes, babe, that's exactly what I want. Parents, you ever need wisdom to parent your children? To understand the difference between when they're being rebellious and when they just don't understand something? Or am I the only parent who's struggled with that question? We need wisdom in our workplace. How do I respond when my coworker is just, well, not behaving very nicely? Or how do I respond when my coworker doesn't really acknowledge the significance of my faith? Solomon's job was king. But God may have called you to be a teacher, a salesman, a mechanic, a technician, a business owner, a manager, or a designer. You need wisdom for God's calling you to. Every one of those requires a knowledge and wisdom to live faithfully according to the Word. Maybe that's why when James gave his book, he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. It's amazing how many people would say, yes, I need wisdom, and then they go seek sources of wisdom outside of the Lord. If we're going to make every effort, then one thing we need to do is ask the Lord for it. Knowing that God is pleased with a request like this. You know, the good news is that when we go to the Lord and ask for wisdom, it's something the Lord already wants to give to us. You know, maybe you've had a, a child come to you and say, you know, Dad, can I mow the lawn for you today? W- would that be okay? And your answer is not, well, no, no, I no. The answer is, yes, I've been waiting for you to do it anyway. I've wanted to give you that responsibility. Or one of your children says, you know, Dad, I've been thinking, I I might be old enough now to do my own laundry, so would you or mom be willing to teach me about that? It's not no. It's, well, yes, of course be happy to teach you that happy to give you that load of responsibility seems to me that James 1:5 is communicating to us that God wants us to ask that he wants us and God's answer is going to be well yes yes i'd be happy to that's exactly what he told Solomon it was pleasing in the sight of the lord that Solomon had asked for this and God said to him, because you've asked this and i have not asked for yourself long life and have asked riches for yourself and have asked for the life of your enemies, but i have asked for discernment, to understand justice, behold, I have done according to your word. In fact, he then says, and I'm going to give you the other things too, huh? I'm going to give you the other stuff. I'll give you a wise and discerning heart. And I'll give you the things you didn't ask for. That is one answer to prayer that every one of us should want where God says, yes and more. Yes and more. I'll give you what you asked for, but here's a bunch of other stuff too, just because I can. And God, of course, used Solomon to write the book of Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, showing that God had kept his promise. So part of making every effort is asking And that seems so simple, doesn't it? So simple. But one of the founders of our biblical counseling ministry, Dr. Bob Smith, used to ask a question a lot. It kind of flowed like this. He was, I would say, famous for it and also infamous for it, depending on which side of the desk you happen to be on. Here's what Doc would say. He would listen to a story And after listening to it, and he hears all the arguments, and the blame shifting, and the expressed anger, and blah, 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 he would ask, so where was the Lord while all that was happening? And then he might go on to say, well, have you possibly considered asking him for wisdom as you worked through a situation? It just cut right to the point. The Lord was nowhere near the front of everyone's minds. Each person was too busy fighting for their rights and for their emotions and for their opinions. Nobody cared about taking God's word and applying it in that moment. It was living, breathing hypocrisy. And it was Doc Smith's way of reminding them that wisdom comes from the Lord. Seeing situations properly doesn't come when we have our head down fighting for our perceived rights. Paul Tripp later wrote, if Jesus does not live in the 10,000 little moments of your life, then he doesn't live in your life at all. We need the knowledge found of 2 Peter 1, verse 5. To make every effort. Now here's point number two. It says wise decisions lead to blessing for you and others. Now I want to encourage you to add something to this point. Look to the heart. If you want to live with wisdom and knowledge, look to the heart. Because it will result in blessing for you and others. Immediately after... God giving him wisdom, we got the story about the two prostitutes. They both were pregnant. They delivered three days apart. One child dies, and the dispute occurs over the living baby. And the Bible illustrates his wisdom by recognizing the heart of each of the women. The mother of the child would not tolerate watching the king execute her baby. If confronted with the choice between his life and the custody of who would get to raise him, she would choose life. However, the woman who lost her baby would be far less compassionate. She would rather see the child die than face the daily struggle of watching her roommate Raise her son. And that's why at the end of verse 28, it says, When all Israel heard of the judgment, they feared the king, for they saw that the wisdom of God was with him. And you might say, Well, you know, telling somebody to cut that baby in half doesn't exactly sound like wisdom. But I would like to propose another alternative. I'd like us to step into this moment before the king for a minute and imagine the scenario differently. What if Solomon had decided, well, all right, we have two women, one baby, so let's gather 10 experts in baby facial recognition and let's put them on the stand and we'll call them as expert witnesses and we'll evaluate together which woman does that child most look like? And we'll give that child to them. Now newborns do not always display their permanent features. Those of you who've seen my, the color of my eyes would have no idea that I was born with blue eyes, but I was. There's pictures. I just didn't keep them. Then, according to verse 21, we're actually told that the woman had to look carefully. She had to look carefully. So we don't know who the fathers were. Maybe they didn't even know who the fathers were. Babies don't exhibit all of their permanent features yet. Can you imagine the chaos this had been? We'd have five witnesses on one side, five witnesses on the other. We'd have a huge mess. But what did Solomon do? He was able to look beyond, to look to the heart to see what others were not able to see. And before you and I think that, well, this is just ridiculous. This isn't about you and I. Can I ask you, have you ever seen or done yourself where you started with something small, but it became really big? Because you didn't have eyes to see what was happening. Like what started as a small little minor conflict blew up? And at the end of it, you're like, how in the world did we get here? How are we fighting over that? You see, the same father that teaches Sunday school and tells his children not to be angry blows up two days later because his wife or children crossed him when he was having a bad day. Just hypocrisy. Or the same father who corrects his teenage son for being unkind to a teacher earlier that day is unkind to his wife later on that evening. Or the same mom who read her Bible in the morning screams at her two children and punishes them because of something that she didn't even understand correctly. See, our focus is on knowledge and wisdom the act of knowing the right thing to do, and then willingly taking that course of action. And we need God's help to do that. And we need to be able to look beyond. In 1 Corinthians 8, Paul warned, now concerning things sacrificed to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge makes arrogant. Here, he's probably emphasizing more the facts of the matter, but the more that I just have facts... The more arrogant I can become. So, how do I make every effort to gain some understanding of the inside, the inner man, the heart? I have two possible applications. The first one is to attend the biblical counseling training that's offered here. You can do it online at your own pace. You can do it through our 11 Monday programs where we go on Mondays from 9 in the morning until 9 at night. Lectures in the morning, counseling observation in the afternoon. You can come to the Biblical Counseling Training Conference for the express purpose of just learning more about what it means to get to the heart. To see beyond, to have this kind of wisdom. Wisdom. I know that the training was transformational for me. I took it in 2001. I was a 30-year-old pastoral intern at the time, and I don't believe that I heard a verse during that 11-week training program that I had not thought of before. I had studied those passages and, in some cases, taught those passages before. But here's what I got that, that time wisdom. I never saw the verses in the same light. I never seen someone take them and apply them in the exact same way that I was witnessing. God, wisdom. And even if you never join our counseling team, either at Restoration, at Vision of Hope, or at the North End, You do counsel. You counsel yourself. You counsel whatever family members live in your home. You counsel your friends and your acquaintances. And so here's an opportunity to learn how to do it just a little bit better. I realize it takes work. But then again, what did the passage say? Make every effort. say, well, that's a little too much, then I want to encourage you to read the book Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands. It's an excellent introduction to what personal ministry of the Word looks like. Will it take some work? Yes, but it's worth it to live in a fruitful and effective way We're told that Solomon, that men came from all peoples to hear the wisdom of Solomon, from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. It blesses others. And in this case, the case of the baby and the two prostitutes, the woman got her son. The woman who lied and stole was given the opportunity to own her sin and repent The nation was blessed as people could rely on justice. So when you live with wisdom, others experience the blessing. When you live with hypocrisy, other people are hurt. So we have, ask God, look to the heart. Here's number three. Wisdom is designed to bring glory to God. So you could just say it this way, give God the credit. Give God the credit. To whatever degree God has allowed you to experience that knowledge and wisdom that has played itself out in normal everyday life, give Him the credit. 2 Peter 1 says that these qualities are yours and increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful. Where? in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But the one who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted. And we might expect that last phrase of verse 9 to say something like this. That person will be ineffective and they will be unfruitful. But that's not the contrast. The contrast is actually between fruitful and effective living and forgetting the significance of the cross. So we want to be verse 8 kind of people, not verse 9 kind of people. Where God gets the credit. We're fruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord and Savior. So when people respond to wisdom, we want them to stand back and say, that person must have been with Jesus. Isn't that what happened with the disciples? After Jesus had ascended and they would stand before various tribunals, the tribunal would say, man, what explains these guys? They, they don't have the education to back up this knowledge, so where did they get all this? And the answer was, they'd been with Jesus so, wisdom is not designed to make us prideful, not to make us arrogant, like knowing the facts do. So, if we're known as kind to classmates because we're able to see the challenges of the heart, then praise the Lord for that grace. If we're able to discern the heart issues in the midst of a challenge or conflict, then We give God the credit for that, because wisdom provides the opportunity to give credit to the Lord. You know, after Solomon, several chapters later, has this wisdom, and he's been exercising it, I'm going to read a portion of 1 Kings 8, and I just want you to notice the amount of focus and energy that goes to giving God the credit for all the things that have been happening. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands toward heaven. And he said, O Lord, the God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth beneath. Now, he had just been dedicating God's house, the privilege of building the temple that God had promised that they were able to do. And it would have been so easy to lift up his hands and say, Man, ain't I great? Didn't I accomplish exactly what God wanted me to do? Ain't I something? So, Lord, there is no God like you in heaven, above or on earth beneath, keeping covenant and showing loving kindness to your servants who walk before you with all their hearts, who have have kept with your servant, my father David, that which you have promised him. Indeed, you have spoken with your mouth and have fulfilled it with your hand as it is this day, whatever prayer or supplication is made by any man or by all your people, Israel, each knowing the affliction of his own heart and spreading his hands toward this house, then here in heaven, your dwelling place and forgive and act and render to each according to all his ways, whose heart, you know, for you alone know the hearts of all the sons of men, that they may fear you all the days that they may live in the land which you have given to our fathers. Just over and over and over again, emphasizing the greatness of God. Several verses later, it says, let your heart therefore be wholly devoted to the Lord our God. That's what he's saying to the people, to walk in his statutes and to keep his commandments as at this day. When the Queen of Sheba visits Solomon in chapter 10, We're told about her that she heard about the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord. She came to test him with difficult questions. Then she said to the king, it was a true report which I heard in my own land about your words and your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God who delighted in you to set you on the throne of Israel. Make every effort to give God the credit. So here's a couple of ways that could actually play out. When you watch your favorite sporting event, some of the words that might come out of your mouth might go like this Man, isn't it amazing that the Lord has given that person the ability to run like 18 miles an hour, jump, catch a football with one hand, and get both feet in bounds? I mean, isn't it amazing the Lord gives people that kind of talent? Or when a child responds to a difficult situation in school. Wow, Johnny, isn't it amazing that the Lord helped you to respond to a difficult situation that that pointed other people to Jesus? And I know it was hard to do that, but I'm so thankful the Lord helped you live with wisdom today. Or when your spouse tells you uh, about a scenario at work Thank you, love, for sharing that story. It is clear to me that the Lord was working in your life to give you such wisdom. And it's going to be interesting to see what kind of fruit the Lord might provide in the future. There's simple ways of using the very good things, the wisdom that occurs in the house to give God the credit for it. So what does make every effort look like? First, to ask God. Second, to look at the heart. Third, to give credit to the Lord. And then this last point, we need to talk about this for for just a minute. We have to be on guard because wise people can sometimes make foolish decisions. Sometimes even the wisest make foolish choices. We saw it at the end of verse 3. I said we'd come back to it later. Here's what the first two verses say. Solomon formed a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And you're like, what? What do you mean you formed a marriage alliance with the king of Egypt? Like, you're, that's a big no-no. That's like a no-no across the board. That's like no along so many lines. No-no. Then he brought her to the city of David till he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. And the people were still sacrificing on the high places. What? What are they sacrificing on the high places for? Because there was no house built for the name of the Lord until those days. Yep. in verse 3, we're told that they went and sacrificed on the high places some more. So even Solomon, for all of his wisdom, still made some decisions based on desires that ignored God's command and led to sin. We're told that King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women from the nations concerning which the Lord has said to the sons of Israel, you shall not associate with them, nor shall they associate with you, for they will surely turn your heart away after their gods. Well, that's living with hypocrisy. And in the little story that I told, 6 a.m. on a Saturday morning, it was easy for my desire to want to train when I wanted to train, to be more important than the fact that I woke her up at six o'clock in the morning on a day she could sleep in. And then not care. Hypocrisy is always possible. Then unwise choices often lead to loss. Loss. That's why we have to be on guard. You may say, how does the Solomon story end? Now the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away. What did we learn in 1 Kings 3? That his heart was toward the Lord, that he loved the Lord. Now when we get to chapter 11, his heart is turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods, but he did not observe what the Lord had commanded. So the Lord said to Solomon, because you have done this and you have not kept my covenants." And my statutes which I commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you and give it to your servant. Wow. Solomon's hypocrisy cost a lot of people a lot. And I hope we see this morning that our own wise decisions have provided opportunity to bring glory to God, have been a blessing to those around But when we've slipped into hypocrisy, we actually hurt others, and we don't give the Lord credit. And that's why we need to make every effort. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this text. Thank you for its clarity. And Lord, I ask that you would help us to make every effort, because you have provided everything we need for a godly life that we can now make every effort. I pray that you would help us to ask you for wisdom rather than just Googling it. I pray that you would help us to learn to look beyond, to look at the heart. I pray that you would help us to give you the credit when something happens that's good and right. And then Lord, would you help us to be on guard knowing that hypocrisy can come in any moment at any time when our own desires become more important than the ones you have for us. So, Lord, we're asking for your help. In Jesus' name, amen.